So this morning, we are continuing our series. We've got a few weeks left in our series on the first seven chapters in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about how the Holy Spirit spread the gospel through the early church. Now, we're going to be somewhere around page, uh, like, I think it's page 858, if I remember. This is going to be a really long passage today. I will not have it up on the screen because it was just about one of those kinds of weeks. So you can follow along in the Bible provided for you. It'll be Acts chapter 5. You also notice that Bible has a hard cover on it. That means you can take notes on it. With that sheet that John was so kind to pass out to you, take some notes, a few things that God puts on your heart, a few things that stand out to you, a scripture that you may remember it this week and apply it to your lives. Now today, we're going to look at one of the more interesting ways that the Holy Spirit spreads the gospel. It's not normally a favorite way of ours as Christians that the Holy Spirit spreads the gospel, but it's a very effective way. And we're going to see what it means for our lives. Now, to set the context for you, we are in Acts chapter 5, I said, and we are starting in verse 17. What happens previous to verse 17 is we see the apostles, and the apostles were disciples who, who knew and walked with Jesus, who knew commissioned to spread the gospel after his death and resurrection. We're going to see them going around and healing people. They are healing people left and right. They are ministering, they're preaching the gospel. They're, they're moving in such a powerful way that people like lay in the streets just hoping their shadows would come across them to heal them. Now, there's no evidence that happened, but that was just kind of the impact that they were having, kind of the hope that they were bringing. But as we will see as we get into verse 17, not everybody is, is excited about this popularity. There are some that are less thrilled with it, a group called the Sadducees, who were some religious uh, uh, rich aristocrats who did not like having their power and authority challenged. All right, with that said, we're going to pick this up in verse 17. And if I can make it, we're going to go all the way to 42. So I'm thinking, yeah, that's right. So if I need to sit down and take a moment, just, you know, bear with Verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles. And they put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel. And they sent to the prison to have the apostles brought. Verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and they reported, uh, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Sounds like a, a scene from the Shawshank Redemption. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what would this come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison and are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people because the apostles were doing all this great stuff to the people, so they were held in high esteem. Now, and when they, they had been brought, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In other words, you're causing this trouble. 
But Peter and the apostles answered, one of the most popular verses in all the Bible, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him as right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while, the apostles, while they talked. And uh, this is a quick fun side note. A side note for this time he's playing Bible trivia. Gamaliel was uh, a famous rabbi, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, actually studied under him. It's even thought it's possible that Paul was at this meeting, at this council, when it happened before he uh, found salvation in Christ. All right, 35. And he said to the men of Israel, Take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if, this, for if this plan or this undertaking is a man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Now, his, his wisdom was really not very sound, because there's a lot of, as we see today, a lot of false religions that rise up, a lot of crazies that will take a lot of people with them, uh, even though they're not of God. But Sadducees listened to his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Verse 41, Then they, speaking the apostles, left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. And then every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease, teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. All right, we want to thank you for coming this morning. I hope you were touched by our message today. Have a great Sunday. Ooh, that's a long pastor. I'm going to take you on for a moment to sit here. That was, that was a lot of talking, even for a pastor. All right, we're good. All right, so today, this message, these verses that we're going to cover, we're going to cover them with a certain premise. We're going to cover them with the premise that we are separated from God by our sins. That this separation is not just in this life, but in the next. And that the only solution for this problem is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That through faith in Him as your Savior and as your Lord, restores us with a right relationship with our Father in Heaven. Both in this life and in eternity. Now if this is true, what I just said, you would think, that those in our lives that this world will be excited to hear this message. Just like a cancer patient would be excited to hear that you have the cure for cancer, people would be excited that you have the cure for sin. You have the answer to finding hope in this world, finding meaning in this life. You, you have the cure to anxiety uh, and to anger and to addiction uh, and to loneliness. But for any Christian who actively 
to share the message of Jesus, you know that this is not We are in a society that has, moreover, the last 40 years, and, and, and now more than ever, started to celebrate relativism, truth is relative, and pluralism, that all religions and beliefs are equal. But anyone who preaches or talks about the name of Jesus quickly learns that this relativism, this pluralism, has its limits when it comes to Christianity. So today I want to talk about how should a Christian respond to the call to spread the message in a world that does not want to hear it. For every Christian, everyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus has been called to share the gospel. That is the whole goal of your life, period. First Peter 2.9 he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How do we respond when people are tired of this thing? The better question is, how does God want us to respond? This is a question you need to ask because when I look around, I see no evidence in God's Word or in society that society as a whole is going to be one in any group of Christianity. Now, listen, I don't think we face the persecution that they do in most countries. I just think that as American Christians, we're soft. We're just soft. We complain about every little thing. We know nothing about persecution in this country. With that said, I think we're going to continue to go down a path where the message of Christ is going to be less and less and less and less welcome to the point to where people become hostile to this message in a much greater way than we do now. But we don't have to wait for that to happen in society because we're going to face it in our lives. You sit here today a Christian, you probably know someone in your life they don't want to hear. And they're going to tell you something. And you try to. How do we respond? What do we do when that question comes? Well, let's look what the Lord has done. Great place to start. Acts chapter 5, 19 to 20. When they're sitting present, it says, During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. So they go right back into the place that caused them trouble. The Lord freed them, got them out, and said, go back in. And I feel like this, in my years of ministry, is so countercultural to a majority of those of us go to church. I mean, if we, as Americans, were to write this story, we would have seen the angel freeing the apostles from the prison and then giving them free day passes to the local day spot, where, where these apostles who have suffered so greatly can go get, you know, free pennies and nannies and just relax after being so trashed for the gospel. Maybe the three two-for-one states for why they're at. That God would bring them out of this trial and put them into a place of comfort. Because that's our God that we sing songs that we sing about. This God of comfort. I think far too many of us Christians, we are soft and we are weak. And with the first sign of trouble in preaching the gospel, we pull out. We're a nation of comfort and of ease. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We see uncomfortable as a bad thing. 
But God's priority all throughout Scripture is never for people's comfort. Never. He'll comfort people, but it's right after He sends them through the fire. God calls us as Christians to persecution. He calls us to opposition. He calls us to being uncomfortable. It's God's nature to always send us back into the fire, to send us back into uncomfortable situations. I mean, we, we have the attitude like, oh, I don't like the heat. I'm getting out of the kitchen. God's like, no, get yourself back into the kitchen. This is what he did with the apostles. Go back into the kitchen, and as the apostles are going back into the kitchen, he needs a lot turning up the heat. This is the God we serve. And it's important that we get this, that we prepare our minds for it, so that we are not shocked by it when we have the courage to be obedient to him and to preach his gospel. Now, some of you, you might be thinking, I don't know what Jesus is talking about. I don't, I don't feel like I'm facing such bad as a Christian. I don't feel like I'm, I'm facing any punishment. I don't feel like I'm facing opposition. Let me see that. Is it possible that we don't feel any of these things simply because you are not saying the name of Jesus that anyone in your life? Is it simply possible that you don't face opposition, you don't face anything, you don't feel the pressure because you live a quiet Christian life that never talks about the same grace of Jesus Christ? Let me ask you all something. When is the last time, this is for you, Christian, when is the last time you shared the message of Jesus, the gospel, with anyone? Now, I'm not talking about, I'm God loves you. I mean, you literally sat down and said, let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done. When's the last time? I was looking on and I read various studies. And they gave out various percentages of how often Christians actually share Christ with everybody. And they all had different percentages, but none of them were good. Like the worst, it was like 90% of Christians don't, on a regular basis, share Christ with anyone. The, the, the best one was 60%. That's like saying 60% of people, like I said, who have a cure to a major disease are not out there trying to give it to anybody. And I bet if we had our people stand up in here, we would find it to be true. Or some of us, we feel like we're talking about Jesus, but we're really not talking about Jesus. We're beating around the bush. One pastor said that if the gospel we preach is not convicting enough to make some men angry, to offend some people, then it possibly is not convicting enough to bring them to salvation. My point is that if you're really trying to reach people for Jesus, and you're really trying to take this message of hope to this world, you're going to feel the heat. 2 Timothy 3 tells says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. Now, sometimes, when we feel this pressure, this opposition, this persecution, God will free us from it. Free the apostles. But then, when you send them back into the heat, you send them back into something worse. 
doesn't look like they got beat the first time, but at the second time, look what it says in Matthew 540. And when they called, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, probably whipped them, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. God is going to allow persecution into your life. He is going to allow opposition into your life. He is going to allow punishment into your life. I'm going to tell you one reason why, this is all throughout the Bible, is opposition equals opportunity. Opposition equals opportunity when it comes to the gospel. In other words, sometimes our suffering plays a role in somebody else's salvation. Did you know that? I mean, look at Jesus. Literally, the only reason that we have any hope, any salvation, is because Jesus chose to suffer. In fact, it's one of the things that draws us to him, that separates him from every other religion that is taught. And he would suffer on our behalf. Look at Acts 16, which we'll talk about in a different sermon series. Paul says, we're really beaten and thrown into prison. And then they ended up leading the jailer and his family to Jesus. I'm telling you right now, if God said you have the choice to go to prison, lead somebody to Jesus and not go to prison, I'm like, Lord, I just know there's salvation between you and them. You'll raise up somebody else. I, I really am better than outside of prison. Right? But no, no. It is our suffering that will lead people sometimes to salvation. It creates opportunities, the opposition that we face. Even look at modern times. Now, we talked in the previous sermon that in around 1948-49-50, when communism really set in and tired, they kicked out all the missionaries. All of them. Gone. There were fewer than a million Christians. And now it's estimated in China today where there is opposition to Christianity that we know nothing of, at least to be a hundred million Christians in underground churches in China. A hundred million. And there was one million. And they have faced opposition for the last 70 years. Suffering plays a role in salvation. Opposition creates opportunity. And let me tell you one of the reasons why. Because as a Christian, it makes you stand out. I'll tell you right now, if you want people to see Christ as a Savior in you, I want to ask you this. How is it going to be possible for them to see the Savior in you when everything in your life is going great? When you are chasing all the things of this world that the world can offer them without Christ? Well, they're not going to see anything. It's not going to mean anything. Christ is clearly displayed when things in our life are not going well. That's when he is displayed. When we are able to stand against opposition, when we are able to stand against a society that's trying to push and silence our Savior with our heads held high in love and respect and proclaim the gospel, not concerned about what it will count us, that what makes it stand out. People ask, well, how, how do they act like this when they're persecuted? How can they be full of love? How can they be full of respect? How can they stick with this while they're being penalized for it? Why would they do that? Let me break it down for a more relatable level. I can't tell you how many times in high school and even in workplaces and with friends, I've had people come to me and they'll say, man, if you do guys, you know, and they'll be like, man, I got a bunch of non-Christians and they make fun of me, they poke jokes at me. But then, when no one's around, Someone will come up and say, hey, 
stand for your faithfulness. I need help with this. Why? Because in all of the, the jokes that are made and the insults that are made, they act like a man of God who trusts in the Lord. They keep their heads held high. Telling the opposition brings opportunity. It's an opportunity to show how Jesus Christ is different. And it makes me wonder as I was working on this, the opposition that you're facing in your life, those of you who are actually preaching Christ, and actually, and you don't even know, you can't even see it, is going to create an opportunity for you to show Christ. Are you even looking for it? Are you so caught up in the persecution? and the pain, and being penalized, and the frustration, that your eyes are closed to what the Lord wants to do. Now, there's a certain attitude that separates those who can come to the pressures of this world, the fears of this world, and those who rise above them. There's a certain attitude. There's a certain attitude that is going to be friends, going to lose jobs, or lose whatever other thing that we are penalized for because of Christians. Peter gives it to us. The apostle gives us to us right here in Acts 5.29. You ever memorizing verses? This is a beautiful one to memorize, and it's short. But easy. Acts 5.29. We must obey God rather than We must obey God rather than men. Listen, if you want to know the difference between someone who says they're a Christian and someone who is really a Christian, this is it. A real Christian lives by the bar, the model that I must obey God rather than men. Is that your model? When fear and opposition comes into your life, the way you want to live your life in Christ Jesus is this your model. If we are going to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ, we must be able to say, I will obey God rather than me. And listen, this goes for every, every area of life. It doesn't just go for when you're going into a situation to face Christ. It goes to how you react to situations. Young men and women, when you have a member of the, the opposite sex that's pressuring you to have sex, and you're afraid of what will happen, if you don't give in, that you'll lose the relationship or, or you won't be as popular, you have a decision to make. Will you obey God or will you obey man? When we have friends in our lives that want us to do things that we know will not bring glory to God, but we don't want to be outcasted, we don't want to look like we're not a part of the group, we have a choice. We will obey God or we will obey man. When we are at work and we have a co-worker or a boss that asks us to do something that's not so savory, that we know that is not on the up and up, we have a choice. Are we going to obey God or are we going to obey man? And we have to have a militant attitude, a do-not-budge attitude, because because of sin in our lives, if we give temptation even an inch, it will take a mile. In fact, there was this one evangelist. He says, he goes, I am so militant about this. When I get up in the morning, he goes, he goes, I say, good morning, General Jesus. This is Private Hill reporting for duty. I like that. Good morning, General Jesus. 
This is Carter Jeff reporting for duty. This is the attitude that we must have. Because let me tell you, I remember my dad talking to me about basic training with his drill sergeant. There was no if, ands, or buts when they told you to do something. You told them no, you hesitated, you were in a world of pain. Anybody who's been in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is the attitude that we must have with God. Where in your life do you need to stop obeying now? You need to start obeying God. And if you wonder what obeying God means, that means opening up the Bible, reading, Listen, I, I need to get on a soapbox somewhere, all right? When I talk about persecution, I'm talking about persecution and opposition to the gospel, not just because you are a pain in the hiding to be a Because there are far too many Christians in this world who are just act like jerks. Some of you find a friend with you. They are mean-spirited, they talk down to people, they are arrogant, and then they try to attribute to the fact that they're Christian. No, it's just your personality. I had one guy, I remember I was ministering once, and he was talking about me, he goes, he was, he was like, we need to talk about persecution. We need to preach in like First and Second Peter, because I'm being persecuted. I go, what? He goes, I'm trying to share Christ at work, and they will not let me. And so we, I said, well, what happened? And come to find out, as he's talking about it, what he was doing is he wasn't sharing Christ on his work breaks or on his lunch break or before and after. He was actually sharing Christ with people when he was actually supposed to be doing his job. I'm like, you're not being persecuted for, for evangelizing, you're being persecuted for being lazy. Now, don't get me wrong, there may not be moments where God will call you in a moment to hit somebody with the gospel because they're suffering, but most of the time, we need to be honoring our authorities and doing our jobs. And then if they're trying to tell us not to preach the gospel at other times that belong to us, uh, you know, during our breaks or during the lunch or before and after, well, that's a different subject. One of my favorite people in the world, they texted me last night and said, hey, I just saw somebody with a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my vaccine. Now listen, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not telling you to get a vaccine. I'm not telling you not to get a vaccine. You're not my place, all right? Listen, you got to make a decision for you, and you deal with the consequences or the benefits of that decision. I ain't you. So don't take any of what I'm about to say as some statement on COVID because I don't need that kind of drama. Okay? But whatever decision that you make, do not attribute it to Jesus. All right? Because I'm tired of seeing people say, Jesus is my vaccine. Jesus gave me an immune system. Yes, he did. But if your immune system was perfect, nobody would ever die. Jesus also gave us a brain, gave us the ability to create vaccines to help us with things. Once again, not trying to say you should take it or not. I'm not your doctor. What I am saying is don't attribute Jesus to it. Okay, don't use religion because you just make us Christians look like we're all nuts and crazy. You don't want to take a vaccine? Fine. But just own it yourself. Because listen, anytime you're using Jesus, and this goes for COVID, this goes uh, for your politics, don't get me started there, uh, as the reason for why you're making the statements you are, listen, you are just distorting the gospel. 
Jesus is not a part of politics. Jesus rises above politics. Now, he should color how we view them, but too often we're going the opposite way and letting our politics color how we view Jesus. Don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake. This goes for our Facebook pages as well. Some of you are like, oh, my what you post on Facebook is a rant. It's a rant. Most of the time, it's not even. Well, anyway, I'm not going to get started. Listen, don't get distracted by this. You can have opinions, you can share opinions in a healthy way, you can listen to other people's opinions, all right? But don't get distracted from the gospel because it's the only thing that can bring salvation. And the Satan loves nothing more than for us to get caught up in COVID things and political things beyond their place because it distracts us from sharing the gospel. He loves it. He does the happy dance every time you make a crazy COVID post or crazy politics post. He loves it. I guarantee you, listen, you don't make a post. Oh, okay, I'm going anyway. All right, you don't make a post on politics on Facebook, and then like Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump or Biden's going to read it and be like, oh, this is terrible. And they're going to forward it to every member of the House, every member of the Senate. They're going to read it at the Senate and House meetings, and they're going to vote all the way that you want because of your post. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry, Bruce, about most of the time, it's just going to cause a divide, and it's going to lessen your ability to tell people about Jesus. We are called to preach the gospel, and in everything we talk about, the gospel is to be present. It is to color how we talk about things, and why we talk about things, and what we talk about. And listen, right now, if you're more stirred and shaking and feeling agitated that I'm talking about COVID or politics than you did when I asked you if you're sharing Jesus with anybody in your life, your priorities are off tilt. The gospel is primary in our lives. We should be doing it to the point that we are feeling the heat, that we're making people uncomfortable, not because we're jerks, not because we're mean. We should be gentle. We should be patient with people. But because we are preaching the truth of the gospel and it is convicting your sin, preaching your sin is Now listen, if you do this, one of the ironic benefits I find from preaching the gospel, from taking a hold of that opposition, it, you wouldn't think of it, but it's what God gives you. Verse 5, 41 through 42. It says, They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for his name. Look at it. Rejoicing. They were rejoicing. They were rejoicing. They were rejoicing that they got beat and prisoned for the name of Jesus. They had joy. Don't get me wrong, they're probably hurting from their beating. But as they're walking, they have joy. They're probably thinking the words of Jesus, which I think it was Matthew 5, where, where he said, Blessed are those of you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of anybody know how things about heaven. And some of you, you know the feeling. You know the feeling. Oh, there is no better feeling than when you have a moment, and, and, and in that moment, you realize that God just used you to touch somebody's life. You need to, some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, wait a minute. I just got, you know what I'm talking about, that realization? You're just on fire, like, 
God could use a broken sinner like me to bring somebody else closer to Him? Oh, there's no better moment. There's no, no better feeling. And some of you know this. Some of you are thinking about the times right now. You're excited thinking about it. Some of you don't know this. This is the joy that is born to you. It's absent from your life. You don't know this. You have a goal, a license, and you can avoid it. I say this being somebody who is in this place, and I am still somebody who is in this place from time to time. It's because you are disobedient to the Lord. You are being disobedient to the call upon the Lord. Disobedient Christians are not worshiping. They do not have the joy. Disobedient Christians are lifeless Christians. They're hardened Christians. They're filthy. Here today, and your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You actively are working in your life to obey Him and not man. Your call is to tell the people in your sphere of influence about Him. And I'll tell you right now, there is enough people in this room and enough people on a line to turn these towns in this area, in this county, upside down and right side up for Jesus Christ. If only we would become obedient. The call of the gospel on our lives in action and friends, we need to hear God is helping us. Yes, it doesn't matter how talented you are, how much you know or don't know, or how long you've been a Christian. We are called to snatch them. And I don't care how switching some of you who've been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you're faithful in other areas. But I'll tell you right now, if you're not faithfully sharing Christ, you're not an obedient Christian. I don't care how much you attend. I don't care how eloquently you speak. I don't care how beautifully that you sing, how generously you give. If you're not actively looking and asking the Lord to use you and taking opportunities when the Holy Spirit gives them to you, you are living in disobedience to the Lord. I know some of you are probably going to be like, I'm not like you. Right? I'm not like you. And it's true. We don't all share with people the same way. We can't all do it the same way. We all got to use actions and words, but they're all going to look different. You know what? I love this, this quote. We cannot all be preachers, but we are all called to be leaders. I'm going to say it again, but I don't know if everybody heard me. We are not all called to be preachers, but we are all called to be leaders. That means whoever God put in your life, you are called to reach for the gospel, bar none, period. Now listen. Sometimes we look at other people and they seem so gifted, and, and, and it's great. We should, we should honor their gifts that we see in them and, and what they're doing. We should be glad for that help. But does that does not remove the call from your life because you got gifts, you have a personality and talent different from them, and it's different on purpose because God's equipped you to reach certain people that those people will never reach. If you will only be obedient to His calling. 
prayers that some of you think. Some of you are feeling the way that you have been disobedient. That's a good thing. The Holy Spirit convicts us about that. Doesn't condemn us, but convicts us. I want to tell you how the Lord treats you in this moment. A little story that a pastor shared in the years ago. And the story goes like this: There's a father and son living in the north in Orange County, and the mother's died, and went to heaven. And so one night, the son is older, and the father says, "Hey, son, I want you to put a fire log on the cabin. Uh, a log on the fire, excuse me. You heat up the cabin, and something like that. I'm, I'm busy. I'm doing something else. Something so you put a log on the cabin." And the son said, "Listen, I don't want to do it, Dad. Do it yourself." Father replies, okay, listen, I've asked nice you now, I'm telling you, put the fire on the cabin. You live in this house, these are my rules, okay, do it. And the son blows up. So, no, I'm not doing it. I'm done, these are your rules. What do we, you know, what do we always say when we see rules? I have to tell you about your rules, and then you look, I'm going to live under another rule. That's what he does, he leaves the house. Slams the door. A couple months goes by, he's staying at friend's house, and he's just realizing, man, one day he has this epiphany, man, God loves me. He, he died for me, he sacrificed for me. I, I couldn't just put a simple rock in the fire this morning. So the son goes home. And that's when he goes. The father opens the door and says, The guy says, Dad, I, I'm sorry. He asked me to do a simple thing. And I, I wouldn't do it. And, and I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And I'll come home. Father embraces him. Says, No, you're not. Just one thing, son, before you sit down, can you put another one on the cabin? My point being, can you be seated in your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Nothing will ever change the fact that you are God's son or daughter. And there will never be a point that so much time has passed that the call on your life to serve yourself to be taken away. So even if today you are the one in your life, Spreading this gospel, no matter what the opposition is, to simply say that you are never alone. That's the grace of God.